Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. What I love about how Paul writes is that the heart of God is so so evident. It's reflected so well in everything that, that Paul writes. It's, it's the heart of a father. As a father directs and, and gives instruction, he doesn't do it again to condemn, but he does it to raise children and to, and to ensure their safety and their future. At no point in everything that Paul has addressed in this letter to the church in, in, in Corinth, at no point does he bring into question the love of God for them. At no point does he even raise any doubts about their calling, about their identity. In fact, he starts the letter before he mentions all of the different things that they're doing wrong. He starts the letter by calling them saints, saying that they are separated, that they are holy, that they are righteous, that God loves them, that they're, that they're a friend of Jesus, that that, that, that they are the beloved of God. And in the same way for you today, even though many of us in many areas may have gone wayward. Some of us have gone majorly wayward. We've got lost complete perspective of what it is that life is about and what we're called to. And we wrestle with emotions every, every week and, and thoughts and, 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 and you know, all these things that we're trying to accomplish as opposed to you know, instead of wrestling in the flesh against flesh and blood, wrestling, uh, you know, in, in the spiritual realm for things that have eternal value. We're so caught up in the temporal. And we, we in this way, fall short majorly oftentimes. But yet, God's heart isn't to bring your identity or His love into question. It's to bring you back. It's to remind you of who you are and to give you uh, that perspective again and, and to remind you of the victory that you have in Jesus. And so in 1 Corinthians 2.2, which we've obviously already covered, uh, Paul writes, he said, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I haven't come to give you some special wisdom. I haven't come to give you a self-help system. I haven't come to give you some, some uh, you know, behavioral modification or some rules for life or some life hacks. What I have come to, to bring you, which really is the answer to everything that you long for, really is the answer and the solution to everything you may be struggling with, really is all wisdom and all knowledge and all power and all freedom. I've just brought you Jesus. I've come to know nothing except Jesus. In Colossians, he says, we preach Jesus, no more, no less. We do not stand on human wisdom. We stand in the gospel. And so this morning, I want to share a message with you entitled, In This We Stand. In This We Stand. It's all about Jesus. This is not a system. This is not a performance-based religion. But this is a message to be believed. Something that you personally put your faith in and trust in. And it is a truth. It's, it's something that is true whether you believe it or not. But this is a truth to be received. God wants us to receive the gospel, to be active participants in placing our trust and our faith in His grace so that He can do all the great things that He has wanted to do in our lives. And so here at Anchor Church, it will always only be all about Jesus. And so after Paul has addressed all of these things with the church in Corinth, he goes back to reaffirming 
the message of the gospel again. I heard a story about a church member that once went up to Martin Luther, the great reformer of the 16th century that, that really brought a, a reformation and a revival to the church about the heart of the gospel and the heart of the message of, of God's grace. As Paul writes, uh, uh, where he says that, that his, his distinct purpose in life was to, to finish the command and the, and, the, and the duty and the role that God gave him, the ministry that God gave him which was to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. And then Galatians, he says, there's only one gospel. So there isn't another one. There's only one, and it's the gospel of grace. And so Martin Luther discovered this as if it was something that was for, forgotten for a time by the organized church um, in that era. And, and, and Martin Luther, just week after week, he preached the gospel. And so at one point, one of the church members came up to him and they asked him, why do you preach the gospel? Why do you preach that same message about the grace of God week after week after week? And Martin Luther replied and he said, because week after week, you forget. Week after week, you forget. You go back to trusting in yourself. You go back to trying. You go back to striving. You go back to wandering in the wilderness. Week after week, you forget. And, and until you come into this place and you actually look like someone who believes the gospel, I'm going to keep preaching it. Charles Spurgeon said something similar. He said, he said I, I, I wonder at the fact that you haven't grown weary of my message. Because week after week, month after month, year after year, I only have one message, nothing but Jesus. And that's the only message I proclaim. It's the only message we have in, in what, what the Scriptures are in, as the church. It's all about Jesus. But in that, we have all the wisdom and all the knowledge that could ever be gained and could ever be learned uh, in that one simple message. It's so deep that it can never be searched out. It can, we can never come to the end of that revelation. And yet it's so simple that you could write it on a grain of rice. You could literally engrave it on, on a grain of rice and, and, and describe it in, in 10 words or less. So in 1 Corinthians 15, which is where we're going to be today, second last chapter. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me. But in 2 Corinthians, oh, sorry, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, Paul hits, hits home. He comes back to, to the gospel. He says, let's return to this. This is what it's all about. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 2, I'm going to read that verse. But remember that the context here is that the people in Corinth have gotten too clever. They've, they've complicated the gospel. They've, they've created structures. They've created rules. They've created hierarchies and, and, and levels that you can attain through personal devotion and, and, and religious uh, piety and, and all these kinds of things that you can grow in special knowledge and revelation. They've created a superior class of Christians uh, supposedly above the others, the others, the lower level Christians, because, because they've attained some special revelation. And, and, and Paul comes back. He's saying, you're prideful, you're boastful, and you're missing out on the message of the gospel. And so in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 2, he says, now I would remind you. That's the guy pointing the wheel, saying, you gotta, you, I'm reminding you, I'm bringing you back. Brothers and sisters of the gospel of God's grace that I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you're being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. Right, I'm, I'm, you know, we, we got saved by the grace of God. He says this to the church in Galatia. In Galatia he says, if having begun in the Spirit, if you were saved by grace, 
Why would you think that you're going to now be made perfect in the flesh? In other words, if it was God who saved you, why are you now trying to keep yourself saved? If it's God who saved you, it's God who keeps saving you. If it started in grace, it grows in grace. It doesn't go beyond grace. Why have you made it about your efforts as opposed to continually trusting in Jesus? And so he says, I'm bringing you back to this message of, 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 of what you received in Jesus, the message that I preach to you, this gospel. It's, it's the gospel you received. It's the one in which you stand. It's the one by which you're being saved. And you've got to hold fast to that message unless what you believed becomes completely corrupt, becomes in vain. It was just a starting point, but it wasn't a dwelling place. It wasn't where you live. You went back to your own things. Teshuva, let's return. Let's go back. And so let's break this down a little bit in the time that we have left this morning. The first thing that he says is that the gospel, the message I preach to you, is something you receive. It's something you receive. Receiving is a necessary part. And this is one of the most disarming parts of the message. You know, what grace does is that it disarms. We want to fight. We want to wrestle. We want to strive. We want to do. And, and, and we often fail. And then we become despondent and we, we sit down and we, and, and we kind of bemoan our condition. And in that, there's a lot of wrestling and fighting and striving. But when the grace of God comes, when God goes, I love you anyway. I love you still. I love you unconditionally. What it does is it, it, it causes us to, to lay down our arms. It causes us to be disarmed and to, to literally stop fighting and, and, and to simply receive. You've got to be willing to be saved. Do you want to be saved? Then let God save you. You know, and I've used this analogy before, but it's such a great one. I was preaching in Jeffrey's Bay recently, and the church I was preaching at was right on the beach. Literally, you walk out the front door and you're on the beach. I'm like, how is this fair? <laughs> Currently, we walk out right onto a beach of sorts. It's construction sand, but, but you, know, we, you know, how is it fair that they're right here on the beach? And I said to them, obviously, they had the context of, of lifeguards in that area. I said to him, you know, so many lifeguards, uh, my old youth pastor was a lifeguard, and, and he told me about, you know, when he was swimming out to save somebody that's struggling to keep their heads above water, sometimes you cannot save them because they're kicking too hard. You cannot get close to them because they're thrashing in the water. And I've heard of lifeguards that would literally swim up to somebody who's drowning and knock them out, literally punch them in the face so that they can stop and be saved. And so we're asking God to, to save us, but instead of letting him save us, we're fighting. No, there's a rest. Sit back. Lie back in the water and let Jesus save you. You need to receive it. You need to be able to receive it. And we struggle with this. We struggle with grace. We struggle with, with receiving because we have a saying in our world that there's no such thing as a free lunch. Everybody's got a motive. Everybody's got an angle. Everybody's got something to sell you. People approach church that way. Now, oh, what are they trying to sell me now? Nothing's free is, what we, is the motto, motto of our world. Nothing's free in this life. I remember when I was a youth pastor, and uh, I used to throw these big youth events, and I would have you know, upwards of three, 4,000 uh, kids coming through on a Saturday. I used to do one every year 
uh, on youth day called Party in the Car Park, and we would transform the church car park. Uh, but like crazy, we had a massive stage and we'd have FMX uh, motorbikes, guys doing backflips, uh, you know, right there. We had skate parks and basketball clinics and Nintendo would bring a truck and they would just, I would just, it was insane. It was epic. We would have these big things. And then in the evening, we would have bands come and play, three or four different bands playing. And, and I'd share a message to these kids that showed up. And, and I used to do those. And so as a courtesy to all the neighbors around the church, we printed out forms with notices saying that we've got this youth event for Youth Day. There's going to be loud music. It's going to continue until this time. And we should be done by that time. And so as a courtesy, I would go around to these churches. Unfortunately, uh, all around the church were complexes. And so it meant a lot of walking and a lot of doors I had to knock on uh, to, to hand out these notices. And I remember going up to one, I was in one complex. It was kind of like a circle and they had low walls. And the one guy was in his garden and I literally came up with a piece of paper and I was like, hi, sir. And he turned it on and he said, no, I'm not interested. Go away. Like, I, I don't want to talk to you. And, you know, and that's kind of like how we deal with, you know, when, you know, when you shouldn't, you know that you know that you know that you shouldn't answer this call because you don't know that number. But you think, what if it's somebody in need? What if it's a call I'm waiting for? And then you answer it anyways. And uh, a lot of people don't know this uh, about me, but um, my first name is actually James. My full name is James Adrian Wright, my grandfather's name and uncle's name, and, and I got it as well. But because there were so many James and Jimmys in the family, my family called me Adrian. So that's been my pre preferred name. But you know how I know it's a telemarketer? Hi, James. If you're calling me James, you don't know me, and I don't want to talk to you, right? Um, and so that, that's, that's a, a good, like, helpful trick. But, but this guy thought I was trying to sell something, and I actually had to say to him, I'm not trying to sell you anything. I'm actually trying to help you. I'm actually just trying to give you a notice as a courtesy to let you know there'll be some loud music. And you can see he was almost a little bit embarrassed then, oh, sorry, sorry, you know, and, and taking the notice from me. But that's just the kind of uh, defensiveness that we've built up as people. Everybody's trying to sell us something, and then when the gospel comes and says it's free, we're like, come on, come on. I know you say that, but what's the bait and switch? You're going to tell me it's free, and then you're going to switch it out. You're going to bait me in and then switch it out with a whole bunch of stuff that I'm supposed to do in order to be right with God. But the gospel is not trying to sell anything. It's a gift. That's what grace means. It's a gift. It's something that you receive without having earned it or worked for it. And so C.S. Lewis says, we're not merely imperfect cre uh, creatures who must be improved. We're not just trying to help ourselves a little bit. No, he says, as Newman says, we are rebels who must lay down our arms, which tells us that we're not just merely people that, that like are amicable but need a little bit of improvement. No, we are actually in our hearts fighting against God. We fight against grace. We want our own dignity. We want our own salvation. We want to be our own saviors. We're actually hostile to the gospel. We're hostile towards grace. We are rebels. But when God's grace hits our lives, we lay down our arms. And this is why Jesus said, we need to be like children. If you even want to see the kingdom of God, if you even want to come close, then you need to be like a child. You need to be able to, to have that humility and sincere trust that a child has. There's a reason why you have to teach children about stranger danger, because they don't see dangers in strangers. They just trust. They just believe. They'll go along with it. They'll believe you. My oldest boy had his 10th birthday yesterday. And, you know, 
it was a great moment to celebrate, but it made me think back to when he was a, when he was a baby. And, and like every parent ever, there came a moment at lunch many years ago when he was just a few months old where it was my turn to give my son a slice of lemon. Why do we do this to our children? I have no idea why it's a thing, but it's like a thing. It's like a rite of passage. It's my turn. Every, every other parent has done this, and today's my day, right? And so, and so I gave him that slice of lemon. I've got it on video. He took it, and he stuck it in his mouth, and the sour hit his taste buds, and you know, the reaction and the shock and the, uh, you know, and the facial expressions that come with it that we all enjoy so much. And you know what? I gave him another one. Guess what? He took it, and guess what? <laughs> He put it in his mouth again, and he had the same reaction, and then I gave him another one. It's just too good, too good to stop. And, and so the thing is, is that, is that that's what we're going to be like. They don't count, you know, they're not trying to protect themselves. They just trust. And obviously, I'm not thinking, I don't think God is trying to give us lemons, but the point is, is that to be like a child means I'm able to receive. If my God gives me something, I don't argue I don't reason, I don't try and figure out why it's not for me, I don't evaluate, I just receive. And this gospel, this grace, this forgiveness is not something that you've got to try and figure out, it's something you receive, and you receive it by faith. We've got to become like children in how we receive. There's a beauty to that. We've got to stop trying to save ourselves and let Jesus save us. We've got to stop trying to fix ourselves and fix our eyes on Jesus instead. The simple truth is that God saves us, we do not save ourselves. It's by His grace. And so it's something that we receive. Number two, it's something in which we stand. So, so it's something we receive, and then it's something that we stand in once we've received it. A lot of people think that grace is just what we need in the beginning to be forgiven of all the things we did before we received grace. But if you've lived five minutes as a believer or five minutes as as an adult in this life, you'll know that we constantly come up against our own imperfections. No matter how much we grow, there's still more, more room for improvement. And so this grace that we receive from God, thank God it's not just something that forgives us of our past. Thank God it's not just forgiveness from the past, but power for the present. It's the ability, it's the Holy Spirit, it's the presence of Jesus in your today and in your tomorrow and in every moment for you to overcome the things that you could never have overcome in your own strength. And that's why we, we actually, actually take every single other self-help thing and we kick it to the curb. We boot it right out of here because it's not going to help us ultimately be transformed. No, we stand in the victory that Jesus has given us. And that grace becomes our firm footing in this world. It be, it's what we're established in. And, and being established in it, we grow. We grow because we're established. Because we're rooted in the love of God, in the grace of God. We're able to do that. Do you know that as, as much as it's become kind of a popular thing for Christians to think that, that we are the army of Jesus kind of marching? What's that old like Sunday school song about, you know, we're the army of, I can't remember what it's, uh, how it goes, but, but it involves an army and marching. And so people think that as Christians, we're constantly marching. But the Bible doesn't call us to march. What does it call us to do? To stand. In fact, Watchman Nee writes about this, and he says, the moment you begin marching, you're giving up ground. You're giving ground away to the enemy. Why? Because you already got the ground. Jesus already won the victory. He's given you the land. Now stand on it 
and defend it. We're not marching for something to go and win some faraway territory that we don't yet possess. No, there was, there was a time where the people of God had to march into the promised land in order to take possession of it. But in Christ, we have possession. So we're not going there, we're staying here. We're standing on what Jesus has given us. In Ephesians 6, it talks about the armor of God and standing against the strategies of the enemy. And it says, therefore, take up the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you will be able to do what? Stand your ground. Stand your ground. The enemy comes against. You're not like, oh, where am I trying to go? What am I trying to get? No, no, no. You're already on the ground. You're not fighting for your healing. You're not fighting for your provision. You're not fighting for your family. You're standing on the victory. We don't fight for victory, but from victory. We reinforce the victory that we have in Jesus. We declare it. We stand upon it. We, we confess it over our lives. We believe it and we live it. We stand. Having done everything to stand, we keep standing. So we're not trying to take ground We're standing on the ground Jesus has already taken. And here, Paul is saying that this gospel that we have is not just something we receive one time, but something in which we stand. It's not just a starting point, but it's a dwelling place. So people say to me often, no, but you can take grace too far. And and I get what they're saying, and, and I appreciate their concern. But this is what I usually tell them. There are ditches beside the road of grace. In fact, I believe the the road of grace is the narrow way because the broad way, the way that leads to destruction is where everybody's trying to save themselves. To lay down your arms and be saved is narrow. It requires death to self because you're saying, I'm not the one saving myself anymore. And so it's actually quite a narrow thing. We have to watch that we constantly stay on that track and don't allow ourselves to go. But you can't take it too far. When When you walk on the road of grace, it's an eternal road. It leads you right into heaven. The ditches on the road of grace are left and right. On the left, you have licentiousness, license to to sin, to do whatever you want. Oh, I've got grace, so I can do that, which isn't, if you had grace, you wouldn't say that. Because grace is not a doctrine, it's a person called Jesus, and Jesus doesn't lead you into sin. It's only when you've perverted the gospel, in other words, you're no longer dealing with the gospel, that you can believe something like that. On the other side, on the right-hand side, you have legalism. So license and legalism are ditches. Legalism is when you think it's all about you and you've got to be legalistic about, you know, if you do this or that or whatever. I, I, you know, I remember when I was, a, when I was a, a kid, my grandfather, I think for my sixth or my seventh birthday, my grandfather had started painting. And he was a pastor, the one I'm named after, and had been a pastor all of his life. And he had painted me this clown. It was my sixth birthday. And he painted me this beautiful clown gave it to me in a, in, a, in a frame, and I hung it up on my wall, and I, and I always wondered while, you know, I, it, at a point it just disappeared. It wasn't there anymore, and I wondered what happened to the clown. I would have loved to have still been, have it today, and maybe give it to my own sons or whatever, and, um, and so I asked my mom, I said, whatever happened to that painting that my grandfather did for me? And she said, no, at a point there were some Christians, some of the pastors that came to the house, and they they said that, you know, there might be some weird spiritual thing attached to that. It might be, like, you, know, you know, the house cleansing thing of like, no, there might be like a demonic spirit attached to that. Now, I, granted, you know, every clown does look a little demonic. 
You know, there, there just is something about painting your smile on that makes people distrust you. I get that. Like, I would probably also have picked it if I was in that frame of mind. But, you know, it's, it's such a, a misunderstanding of, of what we have in Jesus. And, it, and you become legalistic, and you begin to nitpick, and you've got to remove all these things from your home. You've got to be careful you don't say that, and you've got to be careful you don't do that, because, because you, this is how you've got to live, and, and, and you can't do this, you can't do that. And it becomes all about rules. You've gone off the track. Your car's now halfway off that lift. So the danger in, on the road of grace is not ahead. It's left and right. And so we've got to remember that. We stay on this road. Galatians 5.1, actually Paul is addressing the legalism. He's talking about the right-hand side of this road. And in 5.1 he says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. It's for freedom that Jesus set you free. Stand firm, in which we stand. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. What is he talking about? He's talking about the law. Don't try and make it all legalistic when Jesus made you free so that you could be free, so you can walk in freedom. And so it's something that we receive. It's something in which we stand. He then says, it's something by which you are being saved. We're being saved. Now, to many people, that's confusing. Are we saved or are we being saved? What's the answer? Am I saved already or am I still being saved? Am I like halfway there? The truth is it's both. We are both. We've, we are completely, eternally justified and perfected in Jesus. We, we stand before God as completely holy, covered by the blood of Jesus, and He sees us as nothing less than that. And so your position in heaven before God is that you're not just, it's not just that you have righteousness or that you act righteous, but you have become, by your faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness of God. And so it's something that you actually are. You're righteous. You are saints, you are holy, you are completely forgiven before Christ. That's who you are, you're saved eternally. However, we're also being transformed daily. So you're eternally righteous, but who you are in this world, in this day-to-day -day life, how you, how you uh, uh, interact in your, in your relationships and with society and, and with your mission and with the church and all those things, are things that, how many of you know, we can all still grow in, right? None of us are perfect yet. Even Paul says, not that I have attained it yet, but I press on towards the goal of that upward call. And so, yes, we're eternally saved, but in, the, in who we are now, it's like we're playing catch up. We are becoming who we already are in Christ, right? You are already perfect, and now we're becoming that in our experience. Hebrews 10, 14 says this, it says, for by a single offering, talking about Jesus, he, Jesus, has perfected for all time. He's already perfected for all time those who are being sanctified, those who are being saved. So you're perfect, but you're being saved every day. You're being transformed. We're being transformed daily into the image of Christ as we behold him, it tells us in 2 Corinthians, as we behold him as we look to Jesus, as we stay on the road of, of faith and of grace and all about Jesus, as we focus on Him and spend time in His presence, guess what? God is at work within us, 
There's a constant submission, not just a one-time submission, but a daily submission to the work of Jesus in our lives. I remember um, when I was younger, I was 19 years old, I was working for a bank. Any, any people here that work for banks? All right, we're praying for you. Uh, it's a tough environment. It's corporate. It's cutthroat. It's busy. And I worked in the worst place you can work at a bank. Maybe the only worst place would be to be a teller. I know Will was a teller in a bank at one point. He can tell you some stories about that. But I worked in the call center. And you know, the thing about the call center is that the phone is like, it's a headset, it's on your head. And you can't wait. Like the phone doesn't ring for you to answer it. When one call goes down, the next one comes through. And there was always a backlog. There was always like lights flashing. We were always like, there's a hundred people in the queue. And so these calls are coming through and, you, and you're sitting in this floor with 200, 300 other people and you've got, you know, people fighting with you and, and, and arguing with you and upset with the bank and you've got to just take one call after the next, after the next. And, and I was working, I was just 19, I was working as a temp, so I don't get paid a salary. I get paid for the minutes I'm on the phone. If I, if I stop to have lunch, that's me losing money. And so my, my salary of 2,900 rand is going to go down to 2,600 rand. But <laughs> it wasn't a good fit for my personality, I, I think. It was, it was a trying, I did it for a year, and it was a trying year. But, and so I developed a strategy that I couldn't do too much because it cost me too much money. But every now and again, I would take a toilet break, whether I needed the toilet or not, right? And I would just go to the, to the cubicle and I would, I would just sit on the toilet and just close the door. I'm like, I'm just going to take 10 minutes here right now. You know, I, I just need a break. I just can't have another person talk to me about their account right now. I just need to sit here for a while. And I remember one time sitting on that toilet when I was 19 years old and praying a prayer. And I said to God, God, I don't care what you have to take me through, what I need to go through in this life, as long as I end up becoming the person you created me to be. Now you're praying some dangerous prayers. I mean, as I was praying it, I'm like, are you sure? Are you sure you want to say this? And then I thought, what is the ultimate goal? I want to be who God created me to be? I'm sure. Have you prayed that prayer? Are you even available for that prayer? Are you even open like a child to receive that kind of a, a work in your life? Or have you already decided who you want to be and how you're going to be it and when you're going to be it and where you're going to be it? This is where we begin to ask the question, do we really believe the gospel? Do we really trust in Jesus? Are you willing to say, God, it doesn't matter what I have to suffer in this life as long as I become the person you created me to be. I wanna be that Lord with all of my heart. Please cause me to be God. I know I can't do it in my own strength, but by your grace, Lord. This week, I was on a call with a pastor from Australia, Joel Cave, who leads a, a church out there called Glow Church, and they've planted branches all over Australia and into the, I think, the UK, and, and uh, they're busy planting into the US as well. Majorly successful, and, 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 and I was on a call with him and some other pastors, and he was talking about some of how he identifies leaders and how he uh, brings leadership uh, and, and develops leadership, and he said that he was in church one day, and a fist fight broke out in the parking lot, full-on fist fight between a guy who had been a Christian for many years and a guy who had just joined the church. <laughs> and they were full-on, there was a full-on punch-up in the parking lot after church. 
And one of the leaders ran into, into Joel's office and said, there's a fist fight in the parking lot. And his response was, awesome. <laughs> he ran out. He was excited to see this fist fight. Because what he realized is that if you could have a fist fight in church with another church member after having just heard a message, then you're probably hit rock bottom. And if you've hit rock bottom, there's nowhere else to go but up. And he knew this is my opportunity. I can start, I could take these guys and I can begin building them up in their identity in Christ. Both those guys are currently on staff at his church. Both those guys. You see, there's, there's something that, that, that happens when, when we say, God, I am, I'm at the end of my rope. I can no longer pretend. I can no longer put on a brave face. I can no longer do it in my own strength. God, I am just flat on the floor. I, I'm, I'm lying on the ground, God. I'm yours. I've tried my best. I can do nothing more. I surrender. That's, a, that's an incredibly powerful place to be. It might be a broken place, but it's a powerful place to be when you get to that place. Have you come to the end of yourself yet? Have you come to the place where you say to God with all honesty and sincerity, God, all I want is all you have for me. It's something, it's something by which we are being saved. Finally, number four, it's something to which we hold fast. If indeed you hold fast, hold fast to grab onto and to not let go. No matter what happens, this is what you hold on to. I've been enjoying some of my Facebook memories of late because they've been throwing me back to either when my kids were still babies and I loved my kids as babies. As chaotic as it was, having a two-year-old and twins at the same time, it was just, you know, I just loved it. And um, I mean, I would watch rugby on a Saturday and there was just like toys and kids everywhere um, and, and things breaking and, and whatever. It was, it was awesome. And, and I love my boys and I love seeing those those images, but it was also a time when I was really, really uh, developing. God was revealing the gospel to me 10, 11, 12 years ago uh, in such a powerful way. And sometimes I enjoy seeing the revelations of things that I wrote down back then. I would, every day I would like write three, four, five things. People would unfollow me and just like, this guy's overboard. But I was just so on a journey. And, uh, and, and I love being able to go back there and see some of the things I wrote. And so I saw a memory almost exactly today, 10 years ago or 11 years ago, uh, yeah, 10 years ago, almost exactly to the date. It was the 6th of August. Today's what, the, the 8th of August. Um, so this is, this is what I posted on Facebook. I, I said, along with every form of sinful temptation comes the temptation to deny what God's grace has done in you, to pretend that you're still the old person you used to be, the truth is that you aren't. It's in these moments when we deny the reality of God's grace that we fall into sin. The greatest temptation you can face is not the next desire that you have, not the greed, not the lust, not the whatever it may be. The greatest temptation for you in your life today and every day thereafter is the temptation to forget who you are. The temptation to deny your identity in Christ. No, I'm just a simple human being. No, Paul says in this letter, you are acting like you're merely human, but you're not. You're not merely human. You're graced of God. You're saved by Jesus. You're the righteousness of Christ. 
Do not deny that reality because the moment you deny it, you take away your ability to overcome. That's the greatest temptation we face, to deny what God has done and go back to fixing ourselves. We go back to trying, to, 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 to trying instead of trusting. And another word for trusting is faith, and so we become faithless. We become disbelieving and disobedient. And so Paul says, the gospel is not something that you let go of. It's not something you ever let go of. You cling on to it for dear life because it is your life. It's everything that you have. And by doing this, you allow the Spirit of God to shape you. You allow the Spirit of God to mold you and move you and cause you to fulfill every part of God's plan for you. Do not let go of the gospel. This gospel that I preach to you, you hold fast. You hold fast, church. You do not let go. If you want to grow, you have to hold fast. If you're a believer and you do not hold fast to the message of the sufficiency of Jesus, you will not grow. You'll stay immature. And immaturity is not something that we condemn people for. You know, I didn't fight with my, with my babies because they were babies. Why do you want a dummy? You're three months old. You know, like I didn't fight with them. There's a time for you to be immature. That's okay. But it's not okay if you stay immature. That means something's wrong. And you know what's wrong? You're not holding fast to Jesus. Listen to how Paul puts it in Colossians 2, verse 19. He says, not holding fast. He's talking about people who are prideful. And he says, they're not holding fast to Jesus, the head, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments growth, grows, not just with any kind of growth, not just with mental growth, intelligence, knowledge of the scriptures, blah, 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 but with a growth that is from God. Do you want to grow? Or do you want to grow with a growth that's from God, a godly growth? You know how you do that? You hold fast to the head, Jesus. And in Him, you grow. There's no other way to grow. You'll only grow in pride. You'll only grow in self-righteousness. You'll only grow as much as you become, you'll become more and more judgmental as you go on, more and more condemning, more and more full of yourself. Now, you want to grow with a growth that's from God? You hold fast to Jesus. You stay humble and you let him shape you. So Paul carries on and I'm, I'm about to close. We can have um, the band come up. In 1 Corinthians 15, three to four, you know, all of that, that was two verses, okay? So we're gonna be in 1 Corinthians 15 for another week or two, okay? So that was just two verses, but I'm gonna do two more not in the same depth, three to four says, for I delivered to you as of what kind of importance? First importance. What's most important for Paul to bring to the church? That which I also received. Here it is. Here's the gospel. Here's the whole story. Here's everything. Everything that you receive. Everything in which you stand. Everything by which you are being saved. Everything that you receive from God comes from this. Here it is. As of first importance, what I receive from God, I give to you also that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried and raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. That's it. He doesn't go on to mention like another 50,000 things there in the list of Christianity. All of the stuff that you are saved by, that you remain saved by, that you keep being saved by, everything that determines your future and your eternity and your change and your transformation, it's focused on one thing only. 
Jesus died for you. And he was raised. You are going to be raised because he was raised. You're alive today because you're alive in him. Everything is in Jesus. It's just this. Jesus died for our sins. He was buried and raised on the third day. That one simple truth is the key that unlocks absolutely everything that God has for your life. Absolutely everything. Every bit of favor, every bit of grace, every bit of blessing, every bit of healing, every bit of future, every bit of everything. Jesus died for you. He was raised from the dead. All wisdom, understanding, life, transformation, and power stems from our revelation of that word, of that truth. 1 Corinthians 1, 18. For the word of the cross, that's the word that we believe, is foolishness to those who are perishing. It doesn't seem to make sense. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The cross is the power of God to us who are being saved. It seems so, it just seems so irrational, illogical, that everything that we need is in just believing that one simple truth, but that is the way of God. He confounds the wise through the foolishness of faith and the gospel and trusting in Him. It's a non-negotiable. It says, I love the fact that he says several times, according to the Scriptures. You know why it's according to the Scriptures? Because it's always been God's plan. He's saying, yeah, 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 we were told about this and it happened. Jesus died as God said He would. He was buried as God said He would. He was raised as God said He would. This was always God's plan. It was always what God was going to do. And Jesus fulfilled it. It's something God promised and fulfilled in history. Not just a mystical promise, but a fact of history. And this is the basic, non-negotiable truth that God declares as good. This is what we need. And so today, church, the gospel is not advice. It's definitely not a suggestion or self-help or instruction. It's not vague spirituality or steps to enlightenment or skills to implement. It's not religious piety or principles to practice. No, it is news. It's good news. It's great news. It's the news of what God has done for you before you did anything for God. And that is the truth that we receive with open hearts. We believe in it. That is the truth in which we stand day after day after day. It's our bedrock. It's the truth by which we are being saved and transformed and changed. And it's what we hold fast to. And it's what we continually come back to. Amen? Amen. Won't you stand with me this morning?